Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, the many blessings that you've given us. It is a privilege to gather here, to open the word, to have any understanding of what we're reading. Lord, we thank you so much for the spirit. Um, There's a seal and a guarantee uh, that there might be any fruit produced in our lives. I pray that tonight as we go through the study that you would um, give us a better understanding of really how dependent we have to be on you. Um, that faithfulness is not anything that we can acquire uh, ourselves. Uh, that on our best days, we still fall short of grace and mercy. And grace and mercy are that which help us because we fall so short. And uh, the purpose of it all is that we might be led to you and cherish you forever. And so I pray that you give us clarity in all those things tonight. We pray for Malik and Olga uh, with a baby on the way. Uh, we pray for Cardwells and Roddens as they got... Uh, new little babies in the household, and, and uh, pray that you would uh, just bless their time together and give them rest uh, when it is possible. Uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, we thank you for our times where we gather and get to en- engage each other and uh, be engaged by you in the word. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up to Genesis 27. A couple of uh, questions kind of to recap and get back into it. How is a parent supposed to lead and shepherd their children? There's kind of an order that we've been talking about that was really out of whack in this chapter. So how is a parent supposed to shepherd and lead their children? The parent listens to, and the children listen to, which is what it means when Ephesians 6 says, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is good. And so uh, the order is the parent listens to God, and the children listen to their parents. And when this gets out of order, what we find is that you can um, have parents like the ones in Genesis 27 uh, that we've engaged, that if they will turn from God's ways and do their own thing, they'll probably lead their children to do the same thing. And so it's very dangerous to get those things out of order. What are some of the ridiculous factors that we have encountered in chapter 27? There's been a lot of just weird, it's a weird chapter. A lot of uh, awkward moments, ridiculous things. What are some of those? Being deceptive and putting goat hair on a That just sounds funny saying it. Being deceptive and putting goat hair on a smooth man is what he said. <laughs> and just saying it like that makes it even more awkward. Yeah, um, that's awkward. What are some other awkward things? Yeah. Birthright. Yep. Yep. What else? A grown man. These boys are like 40 or 50 years old, in case you missed that, and uh, makes the whole story even weirder. What else? Yeah, Isaac's got probably 60 or 70 years of life left, and here he just kind of comes across as a, a silly old man who thinks he's dying and is making rash decisions uh, in a faithless manner. What other weird, awkward things have we engaged in this chapter? Yeah, yeah. I don't want it to look like I'm mocking my father. Well, it looks like that because that's what you're doing, yeah. Uh, a lot of times if we're in sin, we, we can find ourselves saying the same things. I don't want it to look like I don't care. 
when in fact what we're doing is very indicative of the fact that we don't care or that we're being faithless or that we're doing things our own way. Uh, what else? Yeah, yeah. Jacob said, when uh, Isaac said, how is it that this happened so fast that you uh, were able to kill the animal and cook it and all that? And Jacob said, the Lord, your God, has blessed me. Um, that's not good. That's real bad. Uh, what else? Yeah, his mom. His mom told him to do the whole thing. That makes it very awkward. How did she hear about what Isaac's plans were? Eavesdropping. Yeah. So this whole thing's weird. Uh, why is it not okay to blame your sin on thoughtlessness? Like if you were to sin and just say, oh, I wasn't thinking. Yeah. What does it lead to? There's more sin. And instead of repentance, you just say, well, next time I just have to be more thoughtful. You can't say, oh, I wasn't thinking. Uh, I, I made a mistake in my sin. I, if I would have thought that through, I never would have done that. That's not a good excuse for sinfulness because what happens is that instead of the right thing of repent and follow Jesus being the remedy to that situation, your remedy is just to be more thoughtful or to not be so thoughtless. Um, in the exchange with his father, what is one of the first things Jacob encounters? Yeah, an opportunity to get out of the lie, to repent, to come clean. And what happens again and again and again? The same thing. He has an opportunity again and again, an opportunity to repent. One of the things that we saw last week is that no matter how far along you are in your sin, the best thing that you can do at any moment is to repent. And the further along you go in your sin, the longer you proceed in your sin, the worse it is. At that opportunity that you see when, when you're, the darkness is rolled back and you see light, or if you have a moment where you can no longer ignore the light, repent and follow Jesus. You cannot sin your way out of sin. So let's read aloud verses 14 through 33 and 27. <clears throat> Here we're up to the point where mommy says, let your curse be on me, just do what I say. And so he does, and in verse 14 through 33 is what we're going to be focusing on tonight. So he, Jacob, went and took them, the goats, and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, weird. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Look at all that she's doing. He's just sitting there getting decorated with goat hair and placing the food in his hand. It's weird. Um, so he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Six lies in one sentence. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Bad thing. That's not good. Um, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So here we see that Isaac has some hesitations about what's going on here. He, he thinks that maybe things aren't adding up quite right. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. <laughs> so he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. 
Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And this is where we're picking up this week. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. And he said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed, as he just said. So part of the blessing is even, the deception has even made its way into the blessing is, oh, yes, you blessed my son in the field. Verse 28, may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? Awkward. He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I've blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. In verse 23, there's a real turning point at the point of the blessing here that we're going to look at tonight. It goes from being one of the most ridiculous scenes you've ever seen to things really changing. And I'll just give you a heads up ahead of time. I had a really hard time as I was studying this chapter because I was just like, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand how these, these factors add up to promote clarity. I'm confused. And I realized something I was doing as I was studying, and we'll get to that at that turn. But I want y'all to hang in there on this because this is a weird chapter and the second half is really hard to understand as if the first half wasn't weird enough. So verse 23, in verse 23 it says, And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. What was God's purpose in this whole thing? Just to make sure we're all on the same page. To, to make sure that Jacob was the one who was blessed. When they were in the womb of their mother Rebekah, God said, there are two nations at war within you. The older shall serve the younger. Okay? So it's God's intentions before they're even born that the older would serve the younger. That Esau, the older, would serve Jacob, the younger. And so it was God's purpose the whole time that Jacob would be the one who was blessed. That Jacob would be the one who had a birthright. That Jacob would be the one who would um, essentially be the one who was over the family. And through his lineage, the offspring of all the earth would be blessed. What was accomplished? We know what God's purpose was and what was accomplished. God's purpose, same thing, yeah. This is what God's purpose is and it was accomplished. Essentially, that's how it's always going to happen in the Bible. There may be times where we're like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? Uh-oh, what's going to happen? But we, we kind of know the end of the story already. And so what we can always know is that anytime you see God establishing his purpose, you know that it's going to happen. He will accomplish all of his purpose. Um. One quote says, so much greater care ought we to take that in carrying on God's work, we should not give the reins to our human affections. Here, we see a lot of emotions wrapped up in this scenario. We see mom who's being protective. We see son who's being deceitful. We see father who's being secretive. We see other son who is being selfishly ambitious. And there's a lot of emotions that get wrapped up in this. 
And there are times where our personal emotions and affections would lead us to do that, which is contrary to God's design. Now, go with me on this because you might think, well, no, that's not right. No, that, that's how we generally work. We desperately need Jesus every moment of every day. We didn't just need him when we were eight years old so that we would finally repent of our sin and follow Jesus and begin that journey of faith. We need him every moment of every day. And a lot of times our emotions and affections would lead us to do that which is contrary to God's design. You can consider Rebecca's motherly instincts here. Probably one of the biggest pieces of advice that anyone would get through the course of their life is trust your instincts. Just trust your instincts. Go with your instincts. And I think biblically we could say otherwise. If you're evil, your instincts are evil. And so you need to be redeemed and your, your instincts will be redeemed and God will replace them with, with the right care, the right motivation, the right leaning, the right bent. And so um, don't trust your instinct, instincts. Rather, trust God implicitly. Trust God implicitly. Now, what do you have to know to be able to trust God? What'd you say? That he does what he says, okay? He's in control. Yeah, in this scenario, he was never napping, out of control, distracted. He was in control the whole time. What else do we have to know to trust God implicitly? Yeah, what does he say? <laughs> what am I trusting? If I just said, just came into the room, didn't say anything else, said, y'all just trust me. Now give me your money. You're like, what, what are we doing with the money? What are we trusting you with? What are you doing? You've you got to know what God said here. You've got to know previous to this, what were, what were his purposes? What is it that he is aiming to accomplish? So don't trust your instincts, trust God implicitly. And what that is, is that's walking by faith. And walking by faith is the exact opposite of walking by what? Sight. Sight. So this means that there will be times where we're going to be called to take a bold step forward according to what God has ordained, not knowing what will happen. But trusting that God will accomplish all of his purposes. What that means is that there's times where God will say, this is what I'm going to do. You walk faithfully according to all that I've commanded you. And there will be times where you're called to take a bold step forward, not knowing exactly all the details, but the one thing for sure that you know is that God will accomplish all of his purposes. So the question that comes up here is, do I have a higher regard for my purposes or God's purposes? That's a pretty hard question to ask. Do I have a higher regard for what it is that I want to accomplish today? Or do I have a higher regard for what it is that God wants to accomplish today? Because if your regard for your purposes and your intentions and your goals and your aspirations and, and your um, things that you would like to achieve are higher than what God has communicated, then there's going to be a real imbalance there. And you're not going to be walking by faith. You're going to want to be walking by sight. These tendencies to trust our emotions... Um, given those hard circumstances. The circumstances I'm talking about are when it seems uncertain that, well, God said he's going to accomplish all of his purposes, but I can't see the whole thing perfectly. That's right. You're called to walk by faith, not by sight. But when the time comes where you're saying, well, God says he'll accomplish all of his purposes and he cares for his children and he works everything according to their good and, and, he, and he never leaves us or forsakes us, but I don't see it perfectly, so maybe I need to do this, or maybe, maybe I should just kind of, you know, insert my own plan into the situation, or my own remedy to the problem. When there's that, that imbalance there, there's going to be a struggle, and what happens is that um, our tendency to trust our emotions can surface in a lot of ways. I was trying to think of a number of different ways that 
our emotions can make us not want to be faithful. And one thing that came to mind is you may not want to discipline your children. Have you ever had that happen where um, your kid's doing something that needs your attention to tell them, do not do that. That is not what the Lord wants. Stop it. You're going to burn the house down. But maybe it's the end of the long day and you're like, I just don't want to, I don't want to discipline my kids. I'm too tired. Like your emotions can get in the way of that. I, I know I've talked to some parents who just don't, um, they just don't like the way it feels to discipline a kid. Like, I just want them to have fun. They're just kids. I don't want to expect too much of them. And that leads to a lack of discipline. And so the emotion involved can make you not want to do what you know God has called you to do, to raise your children in the fear of the Lord, to not provoke them to anger. Um, Another example would be that you may feel like you don't have enough money uh, to give away. But God says, no, no, you be faithful with what I've called you to be faithful with. You walk by faith, not by sight. He also calls us to um, seek to show hospitality. You may say, well, my emotions make me feel awkward in that because I'm not a very hospitable person. And God says, no, no, do not become weary in doing good at every opportunity. You need to do good and seek to show hospitality. Uh, you may think that telling the truth will ruin you. If you've been fudging on the truth here and there, and you think that, oh man, if I come clean, it's just going to ruin me. False. God says truth is always better than a lie, and you can't sin your way out of sin. So your emotions could say, that's too dangerous. I'm not, gonna, I'm not coming clean on that. I'll, that will go to the grave with me. No, God says that's not what's best, and your emotions are getting in the way. Um, you may think that there's no purpose in trying to love your wife as Christ loved the church because you think, well, I'm not Christ. That's never going to happen. God says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Walk by faith, not by sight. You, you depend on me. You look to me. You look to God saying, look to me for every single thing, every moment of every day. Now, turn to Isaiah 46.10. I, I want to go through a couple verses because I don't want you to just think that I'm telling you certain things. I want you to see it in the Word. And this is a Bible study and not a time of preaching. It's a time of teaching so we can hang and talk through this a little bit. Isaiah 46.10 says this. I uh, will just start in verse 8 because it's awesome. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God... And there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. You need to know where that is in the scripture. That needs to be on on your lips, that needs to be in your heart. You need to know that God is saying, I will accomplish all my purpose. There's no one else who's like me. Turn to Genesis 50, 20. It's kind of a theme throughout the scriptures. God saying, yeah, I'm still God. Not taking a nap. In Genesis 50, 20, we see um, Joseph has gone through uh, quite the number of trials and uh, ended up in a, an interesting position where he actually had authority and, and he's, he's before his family and he's recapping what's actually happened because it could look like, oh man, Joseph was just wrong by his brothers. That didn't work out real well. And in 50-20, it says this, as for you, you meant evil 
against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Put that in your own words. What, what is that saying? What is Joseph saying there? How would you reword that or reiterate that? Yeah. What, what evil is he talking about? What happened to Joseph? Yeah, sold into slavery, imprisoned. Pretty, like, not like he said something bad about me. This is pretty significant. Sold into slavery. They lied to dad. Um, imprisoned. And now, what, where's he, what position is he in? Yeah, he, he's, he's got some authority here. And he is stating what? The evil that you meant. What is he saying that God did during that whole time? He meant it for good. What does that mean? God is faithful. Always on his throne. What? His will is good. He's trustworthy. What else? It's always going to be accomplished. That's why it's so important for us to know what God has said. It's so important for us to know God's redemptive pattern, for, to know that he's redeeming a people for himself who will spend eternity with him, worshiping him in, in the full splendor of his glory, that, that his aim is to create you as an image bearer, to put his glory on display in every aspect of your life. We have to know all of these things. We have to know why he puts trials in our lives. We have to know what those hard seasons are for. We have to know what he's doing when it feels like he's distant, even though he has said otherwise. It's really important for us to know God's promises and for us to know his plans and his will. It's not just a matter of trying to adapt your plans to his It's a matter of abandoning your plans completely and submitting wholeheartedly, 100% to what God ordains for your life. To never waver in how you trust him. To never fail and and, and turn another way because you're not sure if he's really going to come through on what he's promised. Yeah. 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 Joseph's words to his hateful brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It gives us the, uh, the insight that it's imperative that we have a, uh, a bigger view than just our immediate circumstances. That we can kind of step back and say, okay, big picture here. God's wanting to be glorified. God's working this for our good. God is not abandoning us. God is not forsaking us. God's not turning his back and taking a nap. So the big picture, what is going on here? And Joseph, come, here he communicates that he sees um, something bigger than his immediate circumstances, wants, and desires. Turn to Romans 8.28.
Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, what really brought it about is my mom. You know, we're, she and I are talking about what's happening. She says, uh, oh, well, she's coming back because she just needs a place to stay now. She's not green on the other side. And, yeah. and I'm like, you know, so she's kind of discouraging it, you know? Yeah. It's like, no, no, wait, you know, or don't, don't go into this, you know, I'm thinking, you know, even yeah. that, even yeah. her, you know, in my sister-in-law's attempt to say, okay, I'm coming back, but I'm going to use it, or whatever. And we're, yeah. we're just kind of, you know, we don't really know. Yeah. I, I, was, I was like, Mom, but God is, regardless of whether or not her heart is right or wrong, yeah. God is going to use it. And of course, right. I mean, we to be equipped enough to really say that, I think this yeah. study is really done probably the most poignant specific example is about to come up like keep your eye on the ball because what you just explained is happening there is exactly what's happening in Genesis 27 like we're about to see a turn of events that's pretty remarkable especially to what you just said Uh, look at Romans 8 28 and then we'll jump back into the Genesis area Uh, Romans 8 28 we'll just read through 30 This is one of the sweetest pieces of scripture. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So for those who love God, what actual things work together for good? All. So is there anything that doesn't work together for good? Okay. That gives us a really different perspective. Every moment, every circumstance, all things work together for good. Good. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you can um, go back to that question. What's more important, your purposes or God's purposes? Because as members of the kingdom, that should be good news to you, knowing that this is working out for good. As heirs, as, as children of God, that should be good news to you. However, that may mean in this brief, short period of earth, you may have some pretty miserable seasons, but not completely miserable because you know that God's working things together for good. For his glory. 
that for every one of his children, you will do as he is ordained to, to put his glory on display, and that he enables you to do things beyond your capabilities like he does in this chapter. It goes on to say, we know that he works things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So the good is immediately linked to his purpose, not just ours. And then it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's no ifs in there. There's no if he justified, then he glorified. There's no ifs there. There's no dropouts there. Philippians 1 says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to finish it. And so that's part of our... Uh, encouragement. We're going to talk a little bit more about it in a minute, but that's a large part of our encouragement to know that he's not taking his eye off of you and leaving you to, to be harmed by a circumstance or, or evil or anything else, that, that he is working it all together for his good, for the kingdom good, for his glory. Now turn back to Genesis 27. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, will everything work this for me? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, there's reasons why that happens. Okay. And I tell you, it's a great way to to ask them where do they where do they hear that? Yeah. And a lot of times they heard it from a Christian that said it, but didn't really understand it. Yeah. It meant, you know, Paul's talking to the called people there. Mm-hmm. Called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. And those are believers. You know, it's not for someone to take. Lightly, yeah. That this is happening, which we really believe that as believers, but yeah. uh, someone to say that, yeah. you know, it's just it drives me nuts. But use that if you hear that. Yeah. It's a great time to say, "Where'd you hear that?" Yeah. You know, how do you know that? Yeah, those are incredibly concrete statements that we just read. They're not wishy-washy. Apply it devotionally, however you feel. They're they're very concrete. They're very specific. God is communicating some things with crystal uh, clarity in that chapter. Look at verse 24 in Genesis 27. Here it says, are you really my son? Um, and here we, we see that he has another chance for repentance and he doesn't take it. Then in verse 25, uh, Isaac beckons Jacob, uh, thinking him to be Esau. And essentially he just welcomes a feast of deception. Everybody's lying. Uh, no one's really who they seem to be. And even the food is a lie. It's goat disguised as venison, like we talked about last week. Now, in this part, if Jacob were to say, I've already, I've already screwed things up completely. God would say, I'm still accomplishing all my purposes. If Jacob, and I want to pose this as a question. If Jacob were to say, because of what I've done, I don't deserve the blessing anymore. What would God say? You're right. And what? And you have it anyway? Yeah. And you never deserved it. You, yeah, you messed up. You're, you're looking like a fool, standing in goat hair and all the stuff. But you never earned it. You never, like, if, if Jacob at this point was to say, because of what I've done, because I've been deceitful, I just don't deserve the blessing, God would say, you never deserve the blessing. It's my gift according to my plan. Now, this is where we're going to jump in. As long as you put your hope in earthly, temporary, fleeting things, you'll fall short of glorifying God rightly. What does Jacob need right here? He needs redemption. He needs a big God to come in and redeem him from looking like a fool, 
covered in goat hair, being deceitful, being arrogant, being a mama's boy, whatever. There's a laundry list of things that he needs redemption from. He desperately needs a big God to come in and redeem him. Jacob did not pursue the blessing because he wanted to be able to lead the family according to the purposes of God. If this were the case, he would have trusted God in the process as well. You can't just take whatever means you see fit to accomplish the end. Here, if he, if he really wanted to lead the family according to God's purposes, he would have cared about what God said about the process. He wanted the blessing because he was self-seeking. It's always good to do the right thing, but the right thing must be done faithfully. Romans 14 says anything, anything done outside of faith is a sin. You rescue the orphans from the burning building. Faithlessly, it's a sin. It's good. They didn't burn. That's good. But it's a sin if you don't do it in faith. You help the old lady cross the street. If you do it for your own, look at me. I'm helping the old lady cross the street. You're not doing it faithfully. It's a sin. Yes, you got to cross the street, but you sinned in the process. It's God's purpose, we know ahead of time, that Jacob is blessed. God's blessing isn't a light thing here. We, we're, we use the word blessing so much here, but we're talking about the blessing of the Lord. Given through the patriarch of our faith, God's blessing here is a big deal. And it's God's aim that Jacob be blessed, but Jacob aims to procure that blessing in a sinful manner. Now hear what God's saying. Hear him saying in Isaiah, I will accomplish all my purpose. Um, what's the difference between God accomplishing his purpose? Well, just pay attention to the words. God says, I will accomplish all my purpose. There's a sense here in which Jacob and Rebekah say, I will accomplish all God's purpose. But God accomplishes his purpose. So if you find yourself saying, I will accomplish all God's purpose, you're probably not being as submissive to the Lord in his processes as, as he would have you. So God redeems Jacob. This is a big turning point in the chapter. And this is where it got confusing for me. And I'll explain why in a minute. But Jacob's a sinner. Jacob's not perfect just because he was told ahead of time that the older will serve the younger. Jacob's a sinner. Jacob needs desperately to be redeemed by God. And God redeems Jacob from his sin. And we're going to talk through this. And Isaac. He redeems Isaac from his sin as well. The only reason that Jacob is not immediately labeled unrighteous is that God is counting another's righteousness as Jacob's. Just like us. Not because we finally got it right. What I want us to see here is in Genesis 27, God's not sitting around waiting on them to get it right so he can bless them. They're all wrong. They're screwing things up horribly. And God's about to intervene and change things. God will accomplish all of his purposes. God's not sitting around waiting on you and I to get our stuff straight so that he can bless us. That's why it's a blessing. We can't earn it. We, can't, we don't deserve it. We don't get our stuff together and then go before the Lord. He rescues you from your death and, and breathes life into you and counts Christ's righteousness as yours. And that's how you are able to go and stand before him. God was not sitting here waiting for Jacob. And I, come on, guys. Seriously, you look like an idiot. Y'all, stop being deceptive. I wish they'd get it right so I could bless them. It's not what God's doing here. This is a turning point in this, in this chapter. Look at verse 26. We see the content of the blessing here. And this is where there was a trip, uh, a trip. There was a quote from Paul Tripp that I thought of when I was looking at this because we're about to see a pretty beautiful blessing. Um from a father to a son. And this is a turning point in the chapter because of God's redemption. 
The quote says, God is at work taking people who instinctively speak for themselves and transforming them into people who effectively speak for him. God is at work taking people who instinctively, remember, don't trust your instincts, who instinctively speak for themselves. And God is taking those people and transforming them into people who effectively speak for him. That's what God's doing. He's not saying, okay, once they're good at speaking for me, then I'll use them. That's not how it was. Noah was wicked and God redeemed him. It wasn't, the Lord looked around and Noah was the only one who was doing things right. So he used it. No, no, no. Noah was wicked like the rest. God redeemed him. God drew him out. Just like in Revelation 18, God says, come out of her, my people. He calls us out of the worldliness and he redeems us. And he counts Christ's righteousness as ours and enables us by the work of the spirit to do things that are completely, completely, completely outside of us. Now, taking people who instinctively speak for themselves and transforming them into people who effectively speak for him. Look at verses 26 through 29. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And then in verse 28, we see a transition. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is a sobering turning point. Uh, to this point, we've seen a family of selfish, uh, backhanded, uh, deceitful individuals. But we cannot lose sight of the very real fact that these are God's chosen offspring. This is what was giving me a hard time when I was studying this chapter. I'm reading this and I see this blessing. I'm like, that's beautiful. But they're all still idiots. And I look and I'm like, oh, that's great. But what? And, and I'm, seeing, I'm seeing Isaac say things. Oh, that doesn't add up. He's being a fool. And I'm seeing Jacob do things. Oh, that doesn't add up. That's foolishness. But what I was doing was I was losing sight of the fact that this is God's chosen offspring. What does that mean? When we remember that these are, in fact, God's chosen people, what are we actually reminded of? These are God's chosen people. These goobers who are being faithless are God's chosen people. What are we immediately reminded of? Grace. Sovereignty. Ourselves. Yeah, God draws. We don't earn. Yeah. Yep. What else are we reminded of? What's God doing with his chosen people? Why are there chosen people in the first place? To do his will? So that... Yes. Yes. It's all about God. And God's not looking on saying, oh, this is all about me. I wish they would get it right. God's saying, it's all about me. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to make sure that my purposes are accomplished, like I always have, like I always will. And so here, remember that Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Think about he who began a good work in this people, this chosen people, will bring it to completion even when they're in such a ridiculous scenario as they're in the first half of Genesis 27. If we lose sight of who God is and what he's doing, the second half of Genesis 27 makes no sense at all. It just doesn't add up. Because these people aren't capable of doing what they do. These people aren't capable of saying what they say. That's what it means to be one of God's children. He is redeeming you. 
and giving you what you need to do what he tells you to do. It's redemption. The remainder of the chapter makes no sense if we eliminate God from the equation. Though we are foolish and short-sighted, God is perfectly faithful, and he causes his children to do and say things that they would otherwise be incapable of. Remember Romans 8. There's no dropouts. He finishes the work he starts. Now look at verse 30. This is what I call the uh uh-oh moment of the passage. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from his presence, his father, from the, uh, from the presence of Isaac, his father, uh, Esau, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And then verse 31, he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Awkward. This is the weird moment where uh, the blessing has been um, given. Jacob is out of there. Esau comes in, he didn't need mommy to cook the meal, he killed the animal, he dressed the animal, he cooked the animal the way his dad liked it, he was a hunter, he knew how to do this, and he comes in ready with a big old plate of food for his dad, he says, all right, dad, where's my blessing? Like, uh-oh, this, this, is, this is the weird moment of the whole thing, and look at this next verse, verse 32. Well, first of all, before we go to verse 32, If Esau gets the blessing, what does it mean? If Esau gets the blessing, it means that God's purpose wasn't accomplished. Esau's not getting that blessing. No matter how hard he tries, no matter how he cries in the rest of the chapter, he's not getting that blessing. Because if Esau gets that blessing, then God's purpose was not accomplished and he's no God at all. Y'all see that? He's not going to get the blessing. So here it's awkward. It's a really big deal. The blessing's a big deal. Now verse 32 says... His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. This is the, the awkward moment. Uh, many movies utilize the same sort of awkward situation. If you've ever watched like any movie, like a lot of them use the same situation where it's like, well, if that wasn't Jimmy, who was it? Bum, bum, bum. Well, if I didn't tell you the secret password, who did I tell it to? Bum, bum, bum. It's like someone wasn't who they said they were. Like, th- this is not, we're really regulated to this scenario in most of the, the entertainment and movies that we see. You can picture it. You can hear the cueing of the creepy music. It's like, uh-oh, who was that that I just blessed? There was kind of this moment of, wait, what just, what just happened? That wasn't what I thought happened. And that's how it is with us. That wasn't what I thought was going to happen, but guess what happened? God's purposes were accomplished. God's purposes were accomplished. And look at verse um, 33. (coughs) To me, (coughs) excuse me, verse 33 is the weirdest verse in this chapter. When When you read this, it should come across to you as awkward. Verse 33 says this, Then Isaac trembled very violently. Have you ever seen someone get so mad that they're just like shaking? are so just kind of freaked out at a situation. They're just, they just can't even, what just, oh, that's what's going on here. He's trembling. He's shaking. He's so shaken up that there's actual physical trembling here. And he says, Isaac trembling very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I've blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Why is that so weird? Yeah, like that, that's kind of the normal thing here, right? Um, 
This is why we can't lose sight of what God is doing in the whole thing. Uh, what would a normal response be for one who realized they were just tricked? Yeah, do over? Yeah. yeah, I mean, seriously, he goes, yeah, uh, I'm violently trembling. Like, what just happened? Yeah, he, he shall be blessed. This is weird. It's like this trembling violence because you've been duped, followed up with crystal clarity of thought. Like, yeah, yeah, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, this is a mo- a moment of clarity. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a little confusion. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What were you saying? I cut your thought off there. Okay, cool. She throw something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, due to my greatest efforts, I still failed horribly. And I blessed the wrong, wait, no, I blessed the right child. That's what's happened here. Now, there's a moment of clarity here where, I mean, when someone's tricked, you're just like, oh, man, that was not real. Yeah, Esau, sorry about that, dude. You're ble-. No, that's not what happened here. Rather than retracting his blessing, Isaac actually affirms it. He says, yes, and he shall be blessed. Now, we can gain clarity from this from another verse. Turn to Hebrews 11.20. We got about four minutes. Hebrews eleven twenty says this, and just listen through this. Eleven twenty says, "By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau." By what? Faith. Did it look like faith? It looked like a mistake to me. But in this breathed-out word of God that's profitable for all that we need to know the right things and do the right things, it says by faith Isaac did this. Now, 11.1, if you just turn just previous to Hebrews 11.1, it says what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And verse 6 goes on to say, Without faith it is impossible to please him, God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, this is where I just really want you to listen carefully. According to what that just said, putting all the pieces together, this is what we have. According to this, it was by faith that Isaac blessed Jacob. That in fact, Isaac had an assurance of things hoped for, numerous God-honoring offspring that would be a blessing to the entire earth, And Isaac had a conviction of things unseen, according to this verse. Meaning that upon uttering this blessing, Isaac was convicted that God would do what he promised. I think that's the moment of clarity that we're seeing. When he's trembling violently and then he says, and he shall be blessed. 
There's a moment of clarity here that is faith. He didn't muster it. God intervened and redeemed his wickedness and changed him. That's what we're seeing here. And if you don't read chapter 27 in light of this, it really doesn't make any sense. Because it doesn't add up. But here we see a beautiful picture of redemption. Upon uttering this blessing, Isaac was convicted that God would do what he promised. He had not seen offspring as numerous as the stars, but he held a conviction that God would, in fact, accomplish it. See God accomplishing all of his purposes. See God stirring something up in Isaac that didn't exist in Isaac without God. Faith. We don't earn it. We don't reach down deep inside and get it. Now turn back to Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, we see the blessing that was given to Abraham from the Lord. He was Abram at this point. In Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. This sounds a lot like the blessing that we just saw to Jacob. The blessing in chapter 27 is a continuation and a reiteration of the blessing established by God here to Abram, before his name was changed to Abraham. I'll make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Remember, we don't see Jacob pursuing the blessing for God-glorifying purposes. This was the case he would have done in a God-glorifying way. But what does God do? He intervenes and he changes him. He changes Jacob and he changes Isaac. And he accomplishes the purposes that he says he's going to accomplish. Since we have two minutes left, I'm going to utter some very dangerous words. Turn to Romans 9. I think there's a cheetah in the hallway. (laughs) Now, we can talk about this a little more next week. We don't have a lot of time. I intentionally saved Romans 9 for the very end of the study. Yeah. The second half of Genesis 27 is generally very hard to understand. Ironically, Romans 9 is the chapter that sheds light on it. Romans 9 may be one of the most generally misunderstood chapters in all the Bible. But if we put them together, we gain some insight. I'm now going to read aloud with no questions allowed, Romans 9, 10 through 16. And it says this. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of his call, or the Greek actually says the calling one. It points directly to God not just his call, she was told, the older, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now, The decision for the blessing was not made by a deceitful family member on a bad day. It was made by God. When was it made by God? Before they were born. If you have questions about this chapter, it's very normal. It's very appropriate. I have questions about this chapter. 
It's hard. What we're seeing in Genesis 27 and what we're seeing in Romans 9 is hard because it's so sobering to us. It makes us realize without God, we're completely hopeless. It was made before these boys were born, a decision on who would be blessed, before either of them had done anything good or bad, not because of works, but because of the calling one. We're not loved because we're lovable. Hear that. We're not loved because we're lovable. God was not sitting there looking at Rebecca and Jacob on one side and Isaac and Esau on the other saying, oh, why can't they just be lovable so I can love them? We're not loved because we're lovable. What they received was that which they did not deserve, mercy. God interceded with grace and redeemed them from their wickedness. No one earned his favor here. We're loved because there are some in this world who experience the unspeakable mercy of God. Rather than their deserved wrath, they are blessed by Christ's righteousness being counted as theirs. It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now, here's what we got to see at the end of this study. Then we'll close with no questions. Even, you can ask, I'll hang around afterwards if you have questions. Even if Rebecca and Jacob, consider the scenario. Even if Rebecca hadn't been eavesdropping and come up with a deceptive plan so that Jacob could trick daddy and make it happen the way they wanted, even though they knew what God had said, even if they had not been deceptive, even if they had been blameless in their actions, even if Rebecca and Jacob would have shown great patience under affliction, Jacob still could not have earned the blessing. Even if they did it totally different and said, you know what? We're going to do what's right. We're going to stand here. We're going to stand firm on the promises of the Lord. That still did not earn them the blessing. It was undeserved favor. A blessing from God is not something to be earned. Even if they would have shown great patience under affliction, they still would not have earned the blessing. God's blessing is not there to be won. God's blessing is not there to be lost. God's blessing is not there to be forfeited. Its nature is such that it can only be given by God according to his mercy to whom he chooses. In light of this truth, we see each family member is a little different, being used by God as a vessel. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. This is a hard teaching. Listen closely. Everyone in the chapter 27 is a vessel. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Jacob was prepared beforehand as a vessel for mercy, prepared for glory. Esau was prepared beforehand as a vessel of wrath, whom God would patiently endure. A vessel of wrath prepared for destruction. Keep your eyes on God. That's the whole point here. What y'all were saying about your family members, that's, a, that's this picture. God jumps in and redeems people, even on their best day, even if, if she would have come back and said, everything perfectly eloquently, Scripture, I'm here because I've seen my sins and I repent and I want to submit to my husband as the church submits to the Lord. If she would have said all that, she still doesn't earn the favor and the blessing of God. He gives it freely as he sees fit. And so what that means is that rather than trying to look over here and look over here and look at this family member, this, they did this. Oh, no, they did not earn that. Because we could easily read Genesis 27 as a bunch of self-righteous people saying, Jacob did not earn that blessing. No, he didn't. None of us do. So rather than keeping our eye on everybody else, who do we keep our eye on? We keep our eye on the Lord. Trust God to do as he sees fit. He never breaks promises. And he always fulfills all of his purposes. 
Let's pray, and I'll hang around afterwards if there's any questions. Dear Lord, we come to you now, and we thank you that you are a sovereign God who accomplishes all of his purposes. I thank you that we can even read really hard sections of Scripture like the second half of Genesis 27 and the middle of Romans 9, and that the Spirit would give us any understanding at all. I'm so thankful. And I really pray for that understanding. God, knowing that you are not a God of confusion, um, my prayer is that you would help us to understand this in such a way that it does strengthen our faith, that it makes our faith harder to break because we're clinging to you, trusting you implicitly. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.